kids come tough. I mean, this is a resilient group of kids. Mm -hmm. They've always proved that. You can see that just Duquesne, Pitt. I mean, we have great programs here in Pittsburgh, and it's nice to be part of one of the best. I think it means that the college soccer scene here in Pittsburgh is going to get better and better every single year. It bodes well for the game and the college game here in Pittsburgh. Welcome, everyone, to the Pittsburgh College Soccer Show. I'm Mike. Joining with me, as always, is our Pittsburgh soccer professor, John Krasinski. John, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, swimming in the in all the holiday craziness over here. How about you? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's everywhere now. I mean, it's <laughs> soon um, for me this year because I, you know, I spent Thanksgiving weekend in New York, and it's basically that's the beginning of... Um, the Christmas season, uh, not a better place to, to enjoy the holidays and, uh, than, than being in New York. It was, it was fantastic. I had a great time. Saw the Macy's Day, Thanksgiving Day Parade and, uh, you know, spent some quality family time and um, just had a, had a really good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's 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 as, as the holiday season is winding up, unfortunately, all of the uh, high school and college soccer action is winding down. Um, but, uh, thankfully, you know, you were there covering it all over at Pittsburgh soccer report and attending games and things like that. And so we thought, you know, we sort of led everything up to really the state, uh, the state playoffs and, uh, you know, leading into the college playoffs with our last show. And, uh, we thought, you know, it'd be really good to just sort of wrap everything up with a bow now that, you know, state college, everything is finished. Go back, recap, talk a little bit just about some of the PIA action, some of the college action, um, and then, you know, this will really be sort of our last show of the season um, before, you know, we'll be back again next year. And we'll talk about that at the end. But uh, like I said, want to wrap everything up nicely with a bow and time for the holidays. So let's do it. Um, let's start off with PIA action and we'll take it by class. So um, in the 1A and, and really, you know, we're not going to dive into all of the teams. We want to just sort of acknowledge the teams that have done or did, you know, particularly well. Um, in the 1A, there were two teams uh, representing Western PA in the state finals. Unfortunately, both of the teams just weren't able to get it done and bring, and instead, you know, came home with second, which is a massive accomplishment in and of itself. So Wickley Academy boys, they lost 4-1 to one in the finals to Camp Hill, and the Shadyside Academy girls lost 9-4 to four to Fairfield. Um, so I guess congrats to both of those teams. Um, there, was a, there was a quote here from uh, Shadyside Academy girls coach, uh, Mary Lynch, I'm so proud of the way my team fought back. We were down, and we were able to still come back and score four goals. They kept fighting, and that's just a testament to what this team has done all season. Uh, they lost nine to four, but they were still, you know, battling all the way up to the end. Yeah, that game was crazy. That was crazy. I mean, <laughs> they had some hope there. You know, I think it was just before the first half ended. Christina Rytel. Just, I mean, it was. It, they gave up three goals. They're, they're, the other team just was bringing a lot of high pressure. They were just dynamic. They had really good players on the ball. They were using all of the field. And then all of a sudden, Shadyside was possessing, but they weren't doing much with it. And Christina Rytel drills a shot from about 30 yards out. I mean, it was a, it was a beautiful goal. And then you see, you're saying to yourself, wow, four goals in the first half. They're only down two. The way this game is going, you never know. Yeah. But First, like five minutes of the second half, they they just got trounced. I think it was Camp Hill um, just just came out one two. They scored like three goals in a row, and it was just it was they were just they were up you know six one, and and then it 
neither team, I guess, decided to play defense in the second half. <laughs> Just open but, it up. <laughs> it, it was it was a wild game, and um, but you know, kudos to that team because they beat a very good Greensburg Central Catholic team, led by you know the Whippeals all-time leading scorer Bailey Cartwright, um, and shut her down again um, twice. Um, first in the Whippeal final, and then of course in the in the PIAA's, and and so kudos to Shady Side Girls for for a great season. And um, you mentioned the Swickley Academy boys as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to two A. Um, in the two A, the Quaker Valley boys uh, again made it to the finals, put up a fight. Unfortunately, lost one nothing to Lewisburg uh, in the finals. Um, and this was Lewisburg's uh, second consecutive state title. So a good team. Um, that you know, and unfortunately, the Quaker Valley boys just fell short. But again, you know, kudos for taking second. It's you know, it's Quaker Valley being right thrusted right back into the you know the top of the Whippeal again this year with the former Pittsburgh Riverhound Andrew Marshall leading the way, um, and and having a great group of players. And you know, that was the one thing. Having spoken to, I did a feature story, which you know, it was the dying eight. I was you know. One thing I'm not one person to you know, um, um, you know, toot my horn too much, but it was very exciting that you know down the stretch the Pittsburgh Tribune Review um, only had so many print editions left uh, this this past you know this past year. They as December first was their uh, I mean uh, November thirtieth was their last print edition ever, and you know about a week or two before that, just before that final, um, they you know they ran my my story about both Swickley and Quaker Valley boys being in the finals it was a very exciting thing for that community to have those two boys teams from you know within a mile of each other um playing in the state finals unfortunately both came up a little short but these are programs that have been there before and i think they're going to be there for a long time they've got some great coaching uh good pedigree of players that are going to keep coming through so um you know next year i'm sure we'll see both swickley boys and quaker valley boys back in the picture most definitely. Uh, moving on to 3A, uh, the Moon Girls actually won 2-1 to one over Villa Joseph Marie in the 3A state finals. So, woo congrats to the Moon Girls. Um, John, was that one that you had picked to go all the way? I'm trying to think back. You know, I said all year the team that was most impressive within their classification in boys or girls, to me, were the Moon Girls. They have three, you know, they had two legitimate Division One players at the top of the attack, you know, Delaney Snyder, she's just, there's just a fantastic player, um, you know, and then just the, 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 the surrounding cast that they have. And not only that, they gave up, I believe, one goal in the entire, I mean, they had Villa Joseph Marie goal, goal against them, um, and they beat Mon- what was a really good Montour team. They had to beat them four times. They beat them in the semifinal. Um, I covered that game as well for the trip. Uh, they 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 beat them in the semifinal um, two nothing as well. I mean it was just a, a such a strong team from top to bottom across the board, and you know that was a team I you know I I had my you know looked at and said they were essentially had played in you know a four A level for a number of years, but the size of the school district you know they did get dropped into three A and um, just my hats off to the Moon program, uh, Bill Pepper. Uh, he's an outstanding coach. He's been doing it for a long time. This is his second state title. Um, he's won two Whitfield titles now. 
So, um, and, you know, we talked about it the last show, you know, that was a, a school district that was reeling a little bit. And then when they won that Whitfield final, it was a very inspirational win, uh, having had lost uh, one of the students in, uh, in October and uh, in that school district. Um, so it was, uh, it, was, it was a great run and just a very talented, talented team. So uh, a lot of players coming back next year for Moon as well. So look, look for that team to be, you know, another team that will be back in the picture. Yeah, congrats to them, and definitely great things to come. Um, we'll be keeping an eye on them as we approach next season. And uh, finally, in 4A, the Cannon Mac girls won their first ever state title by beating Central Bucks South one nothing in Hershey. So kudos to the Cannon Mac girls as well. Did you see that any of that game? I did not. No, I just read it, about it afterwards. Um, that Saturday, that weekend, you know, Friday was nice. It was beautiful. Saturday, everything turned. The weather turned. It was, you know, wind going in one direction, snow, hail, sleet, rain. It was just awful uh, weather conditions. But the Cannon Mac girls, you know, persevered uh, and uh, beat a pretty strong Central Buck South team um, in overtime uh, to get that goal. Uh, and, and, and it was a very exciting game and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, um, you know, they felt like a team of destiny this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, again, to see the Whippy, uh, the girls level, you know, I, we, I said this all year on this show that Western Pennsylvania soccer, especially at the girls level, there's a lot of division one level, uh, you know, college level type players. There's, you know, some some players like, for example, Cannon Mac having Aideen or Donahue, um, but not just Aideen. You know, there's other players and, um, you know, that, that a lot of quality, quality female players that are coming out of our area. And it shows you to have the two higher classifications, um, you know, have two teams, have a team like Moon Girls, have Cannon Mac Girls. And let's not forget how good that Norwin team uh, was. They were a little beset by some injuries. They were a little banged up. Um, but those, those three teams right there just stand out to me as just outstanding teams with a lot of talent. And, um, I think it's going to be, it bodes well for, um, especially on the female side, uh, for soccer in our air, in our region, you know? Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, lots of great stuff to keep an eye out for here as we, as we move forward. Um, you know, both with some of these players progressing onto college and some that are going to be returning to the teams next year in high school, which, you know, we'll, we'll be sure to, to cover and talk about and bring you all the news. You mentioned, you know, some of the, the level, the, the ability, the skill level, um, and how great that is. There were some postseason honors, um, that were awarded here to at least two local players. So the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, um, pick their All-American team, and uh, making that list, I'll, I'll let you do it, John. Uh, go ahead and bestow the two who made the list. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the two All-Americans from our area, Matt Happ from Seneca Valley um, and Aideen, Aideen O'Donoghue, who I uh, just uh, spoke about. And, uh, we, a friend of the show, Aideen O'Donoghue. Oh, she, we've had her on the last the last uh, episode yeah. where you talked to her right after she made her uh, commitment to to change her commitment from uh, Rutgers to, to, to come closer to home and, and to uh, begin her college quest next year at Pitt. So that's really great to see. And, and Matt Happ, what a, what a fascinating player to watch. Uh, I had a you know, chance to see a couple of Seneca games uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, they were kind of, they, they ran ahead to some 
fabulous season. Long, you know, they were finished. Uh, they were undefeated up until the Whitfield final, and then losing to their section champ, the section rivals, Allegheny twice in the in the Whitfield, and then in the, the PIAA's again. Um, and so, but Matt Happ was the most dangerous, maybe at least you know for long stretches of of those games, of all those playoff games, he was definitely the most dangerous player. Yeah, very fast. Um, just terrific touch on the ball, dynamic player. And, um, you know, and he's even looking at the realistic um, approach. Uh, I know, um, you know, he's talking to the Tribune Review um, during the playoffs and even said, I I probably won't even go. I I don't even I'm not even thinking that much about soccer in terms of college. Uh, He has aspirations to go into the medical field. So. It's going to go, um, you know, obviously pre-med as a, as a student. He's, I don't think he's selected this university yet, but we'll wait and see what he does. Um, but what two outstanding representatives on that uh, All-American team. And the other thing is we don't have enough time to talk about all the outstanding players, too, that um, have made the All-State team and, of course, all the different All-Section teams and things like that as well. But Western Pennsylvania is very well represented um, at the state level this year, I you know, was looking at the all state teams, and if you get a chance, you can go to the PIAA's website, and they have the all state teams listed there. Um, a great number, a uh, great number of players that have had great seasons and careers, really here in Western PA. So um, that was good to see. Yeah, it's it's very encouraging. Um, you know, even just you know looking at it from a from a wide view to look around, even just you look at the finals, the number of teams that made it to the state finals or won the state finals from this area um, is impressive in and of itself. So definitely well represented. Congrats to all of the high school players who participated this year, who put on a show, who who represented this area um, and and made us all proud. So thank you. Congrats. Um, you know, now you get to enjoy the off season and if you're headed off to college, best of luck there. Um, hopefully we'll be talking about you some more, um, for those high schoolers that'll be returning. Um, we look forward to talking to you or talking about you at least as well. Um, it all begins now too. You know, a lot of them are going to be preparing for college. The, the work begins now and a lot of them are playing club level and they'll be playing winter time. So you'll see a lot of them. Some. So I'm um, sure the Riverhounds will talk, but it'll be this will be their second year to announce their their second like full senior class. So I'm sure there'll be some publicity um, somewhere around si- signing period in um, November. Uh, I'm sorry, in March. So we'll we'll get some more. I think it's March or it's late February, somewhere around there. Um, there'll be more, a lot more um, information about who's going where and um, and that sort of thing. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about you know the the recap of of the college finals here as well. You know a number of the teams that we talked about regularly in terms of you know Pitt men and women, um, 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 now oh Duquesne men and women, um, and Robert Morris men and women. Men and women. I'm, I can't speak right now. I'm tongue tied. Um, we we had talked about how you know the seasons didn't exactly you know play out the way that they had hoped um, at least in the case of Duquesne they they made it into the playoffs and ended up losing um, early but still good seasons um, but those seasons are done and so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the teams that we didn't really touch on a ton we mentioned them um, the big one obviously being WVU's women um, ended up making it to the national title game 
um, and ended up unfortunately losing three to one to number seven USC. Uh, this was the first time the Mountaineer women ever advanced to the finals in team history, um, winning a winning or winning a program record twenty three games in the process, tied for the most in Big Twelve conference history. So unfortunately, they came up short, but also it was a momentous year for them. It was, and to watch their run through to the finals, it was one of those. They were the number one team in the nation, um, but they were carrying a bit of a burden. You know, no team from the Big 12 had ever gone, you know, that far. Mm -hmm. Uh, West Virginia program had never gone that far. Um, And then each game, it seemed like they were up against, you know, it it wasn't an easy um, run by any means. They were, um, yeah, they had to beat Duke one nothing at home. They beat Ohio State in a very close game. Again, I believe it was a one nothing, or it was a penalty kick shootout um, along the way. They had to beat, you know, the twenty-two time uh, national champion U- University of North Carolina in, in the national semifinal. Um, in in you know that was the game where they needed where you know when you need a great player to to make a great play, um, you know, uh, Michaela Abrams just fantastic left-footed finish are kind of on a ball that's uh, came it was from a uh, corner kick but then she it was played back to her and she just took like one move to her right and went to her left and then just drilled she had just enough space to drill it on the you know the near side on a very tight space right past the keeper um and it was it was pretty much like top shelf shot um, it was fantastic, and that's a difference. That's that's one play like that makes a difference and in, in, in helps a team advance to a final. And and then they ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw of USC team in the final. Uh, I was watching that. Um, it was interesting because it was the same time as the Steelers-Giants game, and we were kind of watching both, you know. But uh, uh, it was interesting. You know, they got – it was on ESPNU, and, um, you know, we were sitting in a bar watching both games. It was kind of cool to see uh, college soccer, um, you know, getting some attention from a lot of people that I was hanging out with that night. So, um, but, you know, they did with, you know, it was, it was tight all the way till the end. They tied it up, I think, in the 74th minute. Um, but they, they just could not, it was just USC just countering um on them uh, late on to get two counter goals i mean west virginia dominated the first half even after they gave up a goal in the first minute and then they dominated play throughout most of the first half throughout much of the second half uh, they just could not put the ball in the back of the net and that was really the difference i mean they tied it up but they just couldn't they couldn't couldn't surge past usc and um you know hats off to usc it was it was a pretty exciting final yeah, no doubt. Um, but again, congrats to WVU women. John, there's a number of teams here that uh, you have covered over at the Pittsburgh Soccer Report that span Division 1, 2, 3, um, that all have little pieces that I, I think are worth mentioning. And rather than me go through and you know tick off each one of them, I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you you sort of cherry pick the, the colleges that you, uh, you want to mention here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, so, of course, uh, you know, I did a feature on this somewhere in the, right before the, the – the semifinal uh, before the elite eight of the NCAA um, for the women. And because my thought was wanted to make sure that everybody in the Pittsburgh area, you know, kind of knew where a lot of the teams in this area stood in terms of how many, hey, who made national tournaments and things like that. So uh, yeah. So of course at division one level this year, Penn state, which 
won the national championship a year ago, um, had got again got to the national tournament. They won their first game uh, beating Bucknell six nothing. Um, they're led, of course, by uh, former Greensburg Central Catholic star uh, Franny Krause, and she scored a goal and had two assists in that playoff game. Uh, but then they ran into UVA, University of Virginia, um, and lost three nothing. So their season ended um, on that note. Um, Krause again continues to shine. Uh, she finished up her junior year with 12 goals and three assists. And Upper St. Clair's Emma Hasco, too, um, you know, it was her freshman year. Uh, she led Upper St. Clair a year ago to the PIAA final. And this year she made 17 appearances in her freshman season. So and got an assist. So I think there's um, as she moves along in the program, I, I, it looks like there's going to be a place for Emma as well. Um, and we'll watch the recruiting trail closely because with so many really good players coming out of Western Pennsylvania, you know, Penn State and West Virginia have players, um, you know, have Hannah Abraham um, from Albert Gallatin, um, you know, has, has, has been a regular on the uh, West Virginia roster. And then West Virginia also has another player from Butler um, as well. And so that they might be, you know, I don't know, but they're, they're recruiting um, in this area, but um, it'll be interesting to watch where the local players go. So to see, um, we talked about Aideen already and her choice to pit, mm-hmm. having a lot of good local players. So it'll be, we'll just watch that closely in the next, um, this year, you know, into heading into March to see who else might be out there and, and where a lot of the local players end up going. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of a lot uh, of a roster with a lot of local players, St. Francis um, in Central PA. Um, just north of Johnstown um, in Loretto. Um, you know, they're a roster filled with a lot of players. And they, they made it into the national tournament this year, which was really cool to see. Um, and in the first round, though, they, they had to face a strong Georgetown team. They lost 2 nothing. Um, so that's from the Division One level. Um, only women's teams and represented from, from our area uh, would be Penn State. As sort of, and then of course St. Francis, and then um, Division Two. Just so everybody knows, um, from the men's side, the lone Western PA rep um, was Mercyhurst. They were 15-4 and one. Uh, they ended up losing in the second round of the Division Two tournament to Urbana in Ohio. Um, the Lakers didn't have any of the Whippeo players, but uh, definitely worth a mention that they are the cream of the crop uh, from the Division Two side. As you may, uh, you know, be aware of that step. Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference um, with a lot of the Edinburgh, Slippery Rock, and, uh, you know, all those schools, uh, the Division II level, um, Clarion, you know, um, Cal, Cal PA. Um, so there's a lot of teams from Western PA in that in that um, conference. And then, of course, the women's side, Edinburgh, now that was a team um, opposite of Mercyhurst. They had a lot of local players. Um, they had former Central Valley standout Ashley Mutkus, um um, she's just been a tremendous player for them and led them. Uh, they were the, the representative from the PC, PA, PSAC um, in the Division II side, and they made it to the first round, losing to Charleston, the West Virginia Charleston um, uh, University, 3-1 uh, to one in, the fir- in the first round. So that was the NCAA Division II rep. Um, you know, so Mutkiss, and then there were some other players, including uh, Hampton, a couple players from Hampton. They have a little pipeline with uh, Edinburgh. So Colleen Broadman and Katie uh, Felitsky uh, both played for Hampton. Both of them contributed multiple goals. And um, Abby Galipsy and Hallie Hammer are also a couple of other Whippeal players that, um, you know, filled out that Edinburgh roster. So a strong team. Um, we'll probably continue to see all of those players I mentioned 
um, um, you know, had were, were underclass or juniors or sophomores, except for Mutkus, who um, no, Mutkus is a junior too. So they they'll they'll be around next year as well. Um, and then of course, uh, Mike, you know, we wanted to talk about Division three, mm-hmm. and we Division three in this area. Uh, there was really one team that 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 made it to this next step to this next level, and that was Carnegie Mellon. You know, uh, both the men and the women had outstanding years, and uh, the men, you know, I had a chance to see them play a couple times, and uh, they had a chance to to host the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, um, and they had a um, they made it to the second round this year. They beat Ohio Wesleyan coming from behind, uh, winning two to one. Um, and then in the second round, they lost to Calvin one uh, nothing. So CMU men with another a pretty strong season. Uh, there, uh, it's just worth a mention of Andreas Fatschel. He's, uh, uh, I, you know, again, I watched him. He was a rock in the back. Uh, def- you know, played um, center back for for them for a number of years now. Um, and he was named, um, you know, academic All American. Uh, and to do that in a conference and play for a school like CMU. Um, you know um, that you're, that's a significant um, accomplishment, um, particularly he's a pre-med engineering student. I mean, uh, this kid, he's, he's just, uh, he's been a terrific player as well. So uh, those are the kind of things we like to hear. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it, you know, just sort of harkening back to what you were saying there about it. It's one of those things that I think oftentimes we lose focus on when you're when you're used to watching the pros play soccer and and you know there's a certain expectation in terms of the quality of play but that's all that they focus on is playing soccer and so when you have these student athletes where really I don't want to say soccer is their side gig but unofficially soccer is supposed to be their side gig. They still have their studies that they're still putting in day in and day out. And yet they still come out and they're able to perform and and they, and they go into these tournaments and they put on a good show. Um, Regardless of, you know, whether you were on a team that made it deep into the playoffs or not, you know, just congrats to you for doing what it is that you do, following your passion, continuing to play, you know, while it is that you're, you're focusing on your studies and, um, you know, best of luck to you, you know, in this off season and in the future, depending, you know, no matter where it takes you. So, um, absolutely. And it's my, you know, talking with their coach as well. Uh, he emphasized that there are a lot of kids that choose to go to CMU because they got into CMU that were potentially division one type players. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to hear a coach say that, but it's another thing to watch that team play. And they certainly have Um, a conference playoff type team that um, you know gave Penn State bearing a, a run for their money again this year in the playoffs, and but they were completely. I mean, they weren't completely healthy for the CMU game, but com- CMU were a completely much stronger team, uh, and you can see the difference. And there are, a, I would say, a number of Division One level caliber type players, but they're at CMU for a reason because it's a, a great school. Um, and they want to get that uh, education that they value so much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that pretty much does it in terms of you know recapping the high school and the college action. Uh, you know, one of the things that we wanted to touch on here before we really wrap things up is just this whole changing landscape of you know not only professional soccer in the U.S., which you know there's a lot of discussion right now going on about the minor league um, leagues 
uh, as it relates to professional soccer in uh, in the U.S. But there's also a lot of discussion out there about the future of high school and college soccer and how we can continue to push the envelope. We can do things to uh, help to grow as a large soccer community, continue to develop players. And, uh, John, you found a few different articles that uh, I figured we would touch on here real quickly um, that just sort of pose some ideas about ways that we could grow the college game, just little things, um, and also some some thoughts on high school versus club. And so we'll run through these, and, and you know, I'm sure that you're going to be talking about this a lot on the Pittsburgh Soccer Report in the offseason. If anybody has any thoughts, feel free to share them over there. You can share them with us. Um, over at uh, PGH Footy, um, but let's let's run through the college stuff first. So so there, this came from an article um, called Seven Biggest Flaws in College Soccer." It was put up by Fox Sports. I'm just going to run through the seven real quick, and then John, you can sort of chime in and you know say which ones maybe you think are the biggest ones, or if, if you want to add any other details uh, beyond that. So the first one is just off-season restrictions. Um, so the fact that you know athletes aren't allowed to train in the facilities after a certain point and how that could sort of stunt development Um, running substitutions so the uh, usl level just changed the limit from five substitutions down to three to line up with the rest of the world in college you can sub as many times as you want um college levels as maybe they can start to adjust yeah yeah um poor coaching um, was one of the uh, the points. Um, another one was the condensed season. So the fact that really college players cram their entire season into four months of play, whereas once you go pro, you know you might have you know two to three months off. Otherwise, you're you're playing the rest of that year. Um, the bloated rosters. So in colleges, you know teams regularly carry thirty plus players, which means a lot of players don't get on the field. Lack of oversight from the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, they have their own development academy system, and so there isn't much oversight into the college game. And then the last one was a bit nitpicky, but I tend to agree. Uh, the countdown clock. So anywhere else that you watch soccer, the clock counts upwards. The ref keeps um, the official clock on the field, and so that's why you'll see added time at the end of each half. In college, it counts down, and when the clock hits you know, zero, that's it game's over so john what do you think about these are there any that really sort of stand out to you as you think you know if you could pick one or two of these and say let's change this before next year what what do you think they would be yeah well there's some things won't change of course but uh first let's get right to the countdown clock you know that's that's if you're a soccer purist i mean that's just fringe you see that and you go what and i've had (laughs) experiences as a coach with the countdown clock where it's just amazing results have happened because of it. Or I guess with that um, counting down and in a goal with like two seconds left or something. Um, I, some people might say that's exciting. Um, it, it just, it was just very interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's more of a pet peeve. Like I, I think at some point when they officiating catches up to everything else, I think some of these things will take care of itself, but I don't know if we're quite at that level um, throughout the country in terms of all of our officials. Now, I think college officials, there's a huge difference between our officiating at the high school level, which has a long way to go. Um, I'm not going to get too critical, but it has a long way to go. And that's a whole nother discussion item for another day. Um, 
but the high school level officiating versus college. I think college is excellent. Uh, you know, it, it was, I saw a lot of that proof of that this year up front and in person. Uh, but to, to kind of touch on some of these the subjects, um, you know, obviously off-season restrictions, um, you know, that's one of those. Come on, the NCAA just needs to let, lighten up um, uh, with some of these things. And that's not just in soccer. That's that's just an NCAA issue. Um, so, I, you know, my son, for example, um, played – 19 or played 18 games this year and they had a 19th game because i guess they had a j quote unquote a jv game this year uh, he could not play in the 19th game this year because of some ncaa rule that says you can only play 18 game regular season games so it just just little nitpicky things like that um you know that's fine i don't think he should have played 19 games either but um, i, I kind of get why the ncaa is like that but it's sometimes that can be a little nitpicky running substitutions uh again that will be you know with the usl say for example now becoming division two potentially the division two pro level league um you know making those changes to go from five to three i think that's great and i think it shows the game the game has a long way to go at these levels um for us to you know for high school and college to get on par with um get on par with um, the rest of the world, really. Mm -hmm. One of those, it, that leads into the other piece about you know, United States Soccer Federation and lack of oversight. At some point, you know, you would like to see the U.S. Soccer Federation have more involvement in, um, I think there's, I'm a believer, I know some people might not agree with me, but I, I'm a believer there's room for the college game and there's room for club level there's room for the high school game and the club level and we can move into that discussion in a second so i believe that those opportunities it's all about opportunities in the united states we need to grow the game so the opportunities at the you know at the scholastic whether it's high school or college those opportunities need to be there and there's a lot of good points we can talk about that in a second as to why um, and then the other things, uh, the other poor coaching, yeah, I mean, it's gotten much better. And I think to that point, I understand that what the writer is saying about um, there's um, no coaching badge requirements uh, in some levels. And to be honest, to be quite frank with you, I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. I mean, I played some college soccer. Um, I was I was coaching at the head coach at a very young age. I did not have the the educational background as for as coaching goes, but I was highly organized. I knew the game enough and, you know, they needed somebody to, to step into that leadership role. And I, I was a head coach of a college soccer, of a, you know, NAI level college soccer program for a few years. Now that was in the mid 1990s. You know, my expectations now are I would never hire myself to coach. a <laughs> I didn't have those credentials. Um, and, and I do think that that is important. And I think that you, one strength that United States soccer has, I think, you know, I think some other coaches can speak for this more, um, but we do have a system of certification. We do have coaching, you know, qualifications um, with really, there's no other sport that I know of at the team level sports that have that. So I think those, I, you know, 20 years ago, it was nowhere near what it is today. And I think I'm sure 20 years from now, you're going to see just every coach being certified and, and, and having those licenses and all that, all that good stuff. So um, as far as the condensed season goes, I think that's just something that, again, it's one of those kind of NCAA things, but 
watching and having coached at the college level, the other thing is I truly believe this, that there's so much more to the game than just so much more than the college experience in playing a sport. And I think that condensing it into a three month period to me is fine because, you know, let them have the other five or six or seven months or whatever it is for their college experience um, for off season training. My only issue there is that they should be able to play with amateur teams and, and do those type of things. I think that would be, that should be kind of, opened up so but i'm sure there's all kinds of discussion points and we can explore this as we go through the off season um i i love to try to i'd love to i would love to address a lot of these issues um going forward with some of my writing so yeah so everybody keep an eye out for that um lots of great stuff a lot of I, 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 there's a lot of points of contention there. I think you're going to have a lot of people on both sides of the line for a lot of these topics. And so I think just having that discussion is really what's important and is what's going to help propel, you know, the game forward. So a lot of really good stuff there. The other thing that, uh, the other article that you had pointed out is not just, you know, talking about the changing landscape of college soccer, but also talk about the, um, the different opportunities that kids have at the high school levels, you know, specifically the choice that some kids are faced with to play with either their high school team or their club team and how sometimes that's not the easiest decision and why, um, you know, sometimes club is not the best option. So do you want to briefly talk about that a little bit and then we'll save some for, uh, for some articles this winter? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's more from my, my standpoint, I, I just have seen players come and go and there's nothing wrong with, you know, the exceptional player that gets into the academy level. And yeah, I mean, uh, Pulisic, you know, for the United States men's soccer team, I mean, he was well, 14 and he was playing in Germany and he was already a part of Dortmund's program. And that time, I mean, there's going to be an exceptional player here or there that are going to go, go through those, those, um, you know, go, go in that direction. That's fine. I mean, but we're talking about the general good of things. We, there's just too many kids. I think personally that are, that are losing the traditional high school experience, um, and the opportunities that they get from that. Um, and you know, there was one coach at Laura Kerrigan. Um, I guess he was a former North, Car- North Carolina state coach, um, who kind of was, had written this, um, you know, really well-written store um, perspective um, that, you know, outstanding soccer players still can get an excellent um, experience going through the, being a high school player. I mean, you can always play for a club. That's one thing for, even for an academy. And if it's local, um, there's those opportunities that will always be there. Um, it's just, um, you know, she made some good points about, um, you know, I think making sure that that those players can, and then only that they can get some really positive experiences out of playing high school soccer, than maybe as opposed to club ball. Um, you know, leadership and you know, focusing on academics, those type of things. I mean, we do there. We had this discussion on our first show. We talked about this when Jay Vitovich talked about his experience coaching players who were uh, coming, basically coming up through the pro ranks at very, very young ages and saying that when he, uh, as a college coach at Wake Forest, felt like he had players that were more mature, they were co- more coachable, 
and um, and and those were because they were probably coming through the more traditional um, educational system here in the United States. Now, it, it, there's so many different ways you can go with these discussions, and it's fascinating. Um, but I know you were pretty intrigued by this story as well, Mike. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and and you know, just from my playing experience, seeing you know, friends of mine um, going through some of those decisions and even looking back and knowing some kids in high school that go through those decisions. There's a lot to be said for, as you put it, the high school experience. And and this article in particular, which, um, you know, I'll I'll put it in the show notes so that uh, people can go check it out. But it, it talks about you know, kids who who still even just travel with the team and just practice with the team, even though they're not able to play with the team, just because they want to be with their friends. Um, and that experience of growing up with a group of of kids and players in your area and going to school together and all of that and, and missing out on that for the opportunity to go play for some club teams that, you know, there really is no there's no end game with it. It's just sort of you play with them and it replaces your high school experience. Um, might you learn a little bit more? Maybe, but not necessarily. So it, it, it was just a fascinating article in terms of weighing the pros and cons of, of both options and making it obvious that it's not as clear cut as some people think in terms of choosing club over high school. So, yeah. And, and we could talk to a lot of the kids that have played to just finished completing their high school seasons um, and they just had these experiences, whether they won a Whippeal title or they lost in the first round. I think a lot of them will share that even, you know, probably even more in years to come and talk about that experience, um, and being able to play with their classmates and things like that. I mean, I also saw instances where a high level soccer player playing on the high school level was frustrated. You could see sometimes they're visibly frustrated because they're playing with players that are not on their level. And I've seen that on the field, and, and, and sometimes it can be a little frustrating, too, for them. But at the end of the day, I think that the, these are their schoolmates. This is where they choose to go to school. They, they, want, they want to, you know, to, to make this experience good for everybody. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, just, it's a fascinating discussion. But it, these are discussions that, you know, as soccer continues to grow and evolve in the States – these are things that are going to continue to come to the forefront. Um, would be would the Whippeal finals be what they were the last few years if a lot of these top players were not were playing for academy teams? I don't know the quality of play. I mean, again, I hate to keep saying this, but get to the especially get to the girls' side and you see all these really quality players um, not be in those games because they were in oh, Columbus or in Philadelphia, or some other big elite academy. So, I, I don't know. I think that there's room for the high school game, and um, there's room for the game to grow at all these other levels. And it won't get better unless everybody's playing, you know, at the high school level. Yeah, I agree. Given- I agree. And, you know, speaking of the high school level, this is something that uh, that we've toyed around with here for the past few episodes. And we said, you know what, let's just wait until the off season." But um, up until this point, this show has been called the Pittsburgh College Soccer Show. And, uh, John, you were like, you know, we talk about a lot more than just college soccer. So 
officially, as of today, moving forward, as we go into the next season, we are going to change the name of the show to the Pittsburgh Scholastic Soccer Show so that, you know, it's more inclusive. Obviously, we're talking about high school teams. Obviously, we're talking about college teams. So we want to make sure that we we aren't just sort of lumping high school in with college because that's that's not really fair to the high schoolers as well. So moving forward, the new name is going to be the Pittsburgh Scholastic Soccer Show. You'll still be able to get all the shows with this subscription. If you go over to iTunes, you go over to Stitcher, Google Play, wherever, and you subscribe, it'll be the same show, just a new name. We'll have a new logo for it, all of that. It'll still be John and I talking about things. Um, but that's not the only news uh, as that that uh, of new stuff that's going to be coming out um, as it relates to Pittsburgh soccer. John, you have some news as well. Yeah, well, first of all, my kudos to you, um, and you know, it's just exciting to be a part of the the you know the beautiful game network. So, speaking of rebranding, you've you've rebranded you know um, your number of different shows into the. The beautiful game network and podcasts into the beautiful game network, which which is fantastic, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm really happy to be a part of that with the Pittsburgh Scholastic Soccer Show now, and that's that's fantastic. Um, and uh, you know, other rebranding, you know, maybe some other, <clears throat> we'll see some other rebranding in in and around Pittsburgh soccer and at other levels. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. Waiting with great anticipation, right? <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah, so I have some other news is that um, as Pittsburgh Soccer Report, you know, as they move forward, especially this time of the year, um, I thought it would be great to come up with um, a new feature. Um, so the new feature I'll be doing chronicling once, hopefully once a week, but definitely throughout the course uh, each month. There's a number of features. Um, uh, pieces i'm going to call it the pittsburgh soccer story so we'll be able to i'll be able to focus on stories um you know with you know write some some pieces about you know individuals or organizations um or different clubs or organizations um uh places um you know that involve that are part of the pittsburgh soccer culture part of the pittsburgh soccer community and so Hopefully there's enough room for, you know, 40 or 50 Pittsburgh soccer stories a year. And that's my goal is to um, to highlight the, some people with some some of these different stories that are out there. There's so many fascinating stories that we could share. Um, it feels like sometimes I feel like I never can get around to doing it. So I'm going to take make a focus um, going into the new year is to at least each week or every other week is to have some sort of a story um, to share with 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 my audience, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, one of one of our co-hosts on one of the other shows has talked about how you know there are so many little niches um, of soccer interest within the city that it would be fascinating to talk to you know anybody from you know even some of the EPL supporters groups that we talk to on our 3PL show all the way down to you know like the managers over at Pipers and sort of what that experience is like and you know all the way to the high school college or high school coaches college coaches um the the breadth of passion for soccer in the city is massive and, and there's so many different corners you can go into so to have someone like you that's out there actively searching those people out and and doing articles and and stories and i i can't wait i i cannot wait until um you know the first one comes out i think they're just going to be amazing so kudos well, to you 
is you know one of my favorite things, things that I'm most passionate about, and I haven't had a lot of time to to spend with this is just human interest stories. People love good human interest stories. So, and there have there are just so many wonderful ones out there. So, hopefully, we can get around to um, to sharing those um, in the coming weeks. But definitely, as of the new year, uh, we'll be sharing Pittsburgh soccer stories. Yeah. So uh, we will absolutely be sharing that out um, online. Otherwise, I think, you know, we dropped a lot of news. Again, congrats to all of the players, all of the teams. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, this was our first season. We, we sort of uh, worked out some of the kinks as we went along. But it seems like here at the end, we've, we've really found our way into a groove. Um, so hopefully we hit the ground running here coming up for the next season. As John mentioned, you can find more great local soccer news over at the Pittsburgh Soccer Report at pittsburghsoccerreport.com. That's where he's going to be writing all of his great stuff, including the Pittsburgh Soccer Stories. For more soccer podcasts like this one, head over to the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm. The Mongol show that we just released uh, this past week, we did uh, a lot of discussion about some of the recent Riverhounds news, um, which is a fun listen, so go check that out. Otherwise, John, you know, Thanks for a great season. Thanks for doing all that you do and, uh, you know, being out there in, in, in the cold and crappy weather, watching some of these high school and college games and reporting on it over at the Pittsburgh Soccer Report. Um, we appreciate it. And to, uh, to everyone else, have a safe and happy holidays, and uh, we'll definitely talk to you next season. All right. Happy holidays.